Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Fries, and you are listening to What the Fuck? Where we talk about topics that have caused so much damage, people don't come to church anymore. I'm the senior pastor of Music of Life Church, Appleton, and I'm joined by the senior pastor of Music of Life Church, Kimberly, Pastor Joel Swakowski. Hey, Pastor Joel. Hey, Pastor Jonathan. How are we doing, man? I'm great. How are you? Excited? Yeah, me too. Ready to get into it again today. Let's do it. Today's yes. topic is mercy. Mercy. I love it. Yeah. Can you give us some background on this topic, sir? I can. Well, we've seen at length that the mechanism in which causes God to move is justice. Check out the God's Nature series, season two, right? Yep. And we've seen that we hinder God when we try carrying the burden of righteousness and justice ourselves. We are not judge. We humans are not judge. Mm. We are not right and just. We are vessels for God's will to happen through. And we've seen that love is one way we can get justice on our side. If I give to you without expecting anything in return, I'm owed equal value. Mm -hmm. And to intentionally gain value through giving is done by love, right? Right. We've also seen how forgiveness helps us get justice on our side. If an injustice happens against me, and I go through the correct process of forgiving that person, then I'm owed value. Mercy is the time between the unjust act and the equaling out of justice. There you go, Pastor Jonathan. Here's an episode where you really get the definition of the term right in the history, right in the background of that of that topic. It's been a while uh, since we've done that, isn't it? This is like my favorite part. So soon. Uh-oh. Right, Does just, that mean the rest of this episode is downhill? Is that oh, what's happening? It, yeah, yeah. The rest of the rest <laughs> of us, yeah. You don't have to listen from here on out. No, All right. <laughs> this has been what the flock. No, <laughs> Pastor Tater, you can uh, turn off your radio. We're good. <laughs> oh, he's not gonna want that. No, I think he's still gonna call. <laughs> right. And uh, and rightly so, because what we're gonna see is actually there's so much to unpack here. We just have to give you the definition right up front. So mercy is a time period between the unjust act and the equaling out of justice. So for instance, little or no mercy is like a cartoon. These classic cartoons we remember watching as kids where the character does something wrong and is immediately struck by lightning. Mm -hmm. Little to no mercy or little to no time between them doing something wrong and the thunderbolt or the lightning bolt striking them. Right. So really... The minimum you can do to somebody who is unjust is show them mercy. Even a little bit of mercy. So basically you're saying, you know, even if it's 10 seconds of mercy, hey, I will give you 10 seconds of mercy before I equal out justice. To get your lazy, no good keister <laughs> off my, off my property. property. <laughs> yeah. That is in that movie. <laughs> that that gangster in Home Alone was giving the guy he was going to kill 10 seconds of mercy. That's right. Now, we've done an episode on forgiveness, season two, episode 10. Forgiveness is a statement of my will that I won't take out justice on my own, 
even if I'm given the opportunity. This would make forgiveness infinite mercy, meaning I'll never, like the time period between the unjust act and me equaling out justice is infinite, meaning I'm never going to take it, take out justice on my own. But mercy is the minimum I can do to somebody who's unjust. In fact, in the restoration process, when we go through these principles of restoration, there are four principles of restoration we go through, justice, mercy, forgiveness, and love. We do them in that order on purpose. And it really, it really is in the order of maturity, in the order of what it costs in the intentionality it requires to exhibit this behavior where we have to expand on, on justice right away. Cause the whole restoration process is founded on really it's founded on the principle of justice. We say people are in a hole or in the hole. That means what we mean by that is they're in a justice hole. They are in life on the negative side of the justice scale. So when we go through mercy, forgiveness, and love, what we're doing is in that order is because it's the simplest to show mercy. It's simpler to show mercy than it is forgiveness. And it's simpler to show, to show forgiveness or to forgive someone than it is to love someone. So again, mercy, the time period between the unjust act and the equaling out of justice. And it's the minimum I can do for someone who is unjust. Excellent. Wow. What an awesome explanation of that. Super, super healing right off yeah. the bat to be able to have that definition. And it's exciting. So how have people been hurt by church in this area? Yeah, it is this amazing doctrine once again, yet we mm -hmm. manipulate it and, and apply it wrong and so we've seen, you know, bad things happen, right? We're humans, we're messy, we hurt each other. And we seem to only have two options, either try to exact vengeance upon one another or press the reset button and ignore the injustice altogether. So that's really the overview of the conflict in the church. I either show little to no mercy and exact vengeance upon people who hurt me or I try to just forget it ever happened. Okay. So when we talk about these topics that cause conflict in the church, usually it presents two sides of a limitation side, people who are focused on rules and then uh, a loose side, people who are focused on the freedom. And so let's, let's start talking about the strict side, Pastor Joel. How did they respond to this topic? Yeah, the strict side is, and, and the mercy topic is people who judge, okay. people who show little to no mercy. When you do something wrong, you are equated with that destructive behavior. So if you commit adultery, it's not you committed adultery, it's you're an adulterer. Mm. If you lied, it's not you have lied, it's you are a liar this judgment happens and all this does is really cause people in the church to try to hide when they do something wrong. So we are so quick to judge and we aren't long suffering at all. We're short suffering. We suffer 
the wrongs of other people really poorly. And if I'm quickly going to judge you in response to something you've done wrong to me without getting any understanding, without giving you any opportunity to explain yourself, without giving you any chance to respond to it, all I'm doing is showing you that if you do something wrong to Joel, you need to make sure he never finds out about it. Try to hide it. Try to deny, deny, deny. Yeah. Unfortunately, the church has become like the world when this concept is concerned. Here's a buzz term for you. Cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Someone does something wrong. They're canceled. Canceled. In the, in the church, what's that look like? They're kicked out of church, excommunicated. Yep. We don't interact with them anymore. Don't talk to that person. They're bad. Mm-hmm. This is little to no mercy. And the church mirrors the world in this mentality. Or what may be even more confronting is the question, did the world learn this approach from the church? And we often talk about how, you know, the world has infested the church. And the world, or, you know, the church has become more and more like the world. What this question is posing is, wait a minute, why do we keep blaming the world? Hmm. We know the world isn't, you know, we, sh- we should be in the world, not of the world, right? But I have a feeling there's a lot of areas and maybe we need to start considering is how has the church been an example to the world on handling these things? Wow. Did the world learn cancel culture from the church? Because I see these behaviors, this judgment behavior, this little to no mercy behavior, this cancel culture. The church hasn't called it that, but I've seen it in my own life, in my own family. Oh, yeah. And this is generations the church has acted this way. You do something wrong, especially in your you're in leadership. Forget about it. You're gone. Mm-hmm. You are gone. We take your pictures down off the wall. We forget you ever even were part of this church or ministry. Powerful stuff. It reminds me of that story of where uh, the woman was caught in adultery. Oh, right. It's like that, talk about being canceled. Yep. Trying to cancel someone's life. Oh, no kidding. What you mean? Oh, that's, yeah, that's a really good example. Canceling their life. Yeah, let's get rid of her. I mean, now maybe it's not as physical, but I tell you what, the impacts of people being canceled is still, I mean, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually devastating. It is. Well, how would someone that had this strict perspective support their beliefs with the Bible? Well, I can use any of the verses that God equals out justice on a person or person. Ah, there you go. Yep. And, and say, see, we're supposed to judge. We're supposed to judge evil. Or even Jesus's interactions with the religious leaders. There's times that he was very, very like direct in the statements he was making about and on them. But we take those one or two verses and we forget the entirety of all of his interactions with him, with the religious authorities and what led up to those interactions and, and what was proven about these people before Jesus made these statements. So we can use verses like that. God being, you know, his wrath coming out on people or Jesus's interactions with the religious authorities and use those to justify and rationalize myself 
is why it's okay for me to judge too. So Jesus called these, you know, the Pharisees and scribes hypocrites. Right. So that's kind of an example of what you're talking about, where he, well, Jesus called people, right. told them you are hypocrites. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, but you know, and the thing is, it's because Jesus did, I know he's right and just, and I know he's always taking direction from the father. So make sure I am, if I would ever do that. <laughs> Right air on the side of just not being judged. I think Jesus is looking out for us in Matthew chapter seven when he's like, you know what, just judge not, lest you be judged. <laughs> just don't. Nice. So, how would you handle an interaction with someone who held that strict perspective? I would ask them a series of questions, such as, do you want others to judge you for the wrongs you've done? Or, how about, do you require any time to explain yourself for the mistakes you've made? Mm. Or do you require any time to make up for the wrongs you've done? And here's some, a really great question that really goes into the depth of what is this time period between the injustice and the justice being equaled out really meant for? Well, I'd like to ask somebody, how many times do I have to confess and repent to God? Hmm. And the answer to that's one. We could even go back to the, you know, once saved, always saved episodes we've done. We talk about growing up as kids and asking Jesus into our hearts week after week after week. Why? Because we weren't really insured of our salvation. We didn't really know. We didn't know what the measure was. But now looking back, the reason we know that's silly is because we know if we do it the right way and if we're making progress in sanctification, you only need to confess and repent to God once. You know, if I do something wrong, confess and repent, not continue to confess and repent. Then I'd ask the follow-up is, why do you have a tougher requirement on me than God? Because hmm. these people who aren't showing mercy, they're not giving me time to make up for it. And they're not accounting for my response to the injustice I may have committed. Hmm. It's like, and who's the most merciful god the father that's right no one's more merciful than him right so when these people aren't merciful it's like wait why are you holding me to a tougher requirement than god is Oof, brutal i think you could say by implication they're maybe putting them well and that's really when they're these people are judgmental they are putting themselves in god's place and then showing that they shouldn't be because they do a horrible job trying to be God. <laughs> exactly. And they would never want to be judged according to the same standard. Right. And that's where the hypocrisy comes in. Right. Exactly. Okay. I want to summarize the strict perspective. The strict side is judgmental. Yeah. These people show little to no mercy. And they are quick to say that if you do something wrong, you are that wrong behavior. If you commit adultery, you are an adulterer. That is who you are. And if you are only your behavior, then that's all that you can do. So it makes sense why people are hiding their wrongs. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, great. On that note, let's take a call from, he's on the line, Pastor Richard Tater. Go ahead, Pastor Tater, you are on the line. Hello, Pastor Joe, Pastor Jonathan. It is I, Pastor Richard Tater. I do have somewhat to say upon the matter of mercy. You know, uh, I was always taught that God's mercies are new every morning, gentlemen. And like I shared in the confession and repentance episodes, I don't need to repent to people for the wrongs I did to them because God already knew that I was going to sin and he paid for it on the cross before I was born. Yeah. How'd that work out for you? <laughs> Well, Pastor Joe, you know that I ended up depressed. This show has shown me the contradictions in believing that I don't have a free will and then punishing others when they don't try to do good. Why doesn't everyone see this? Pride. Control. Yes. I'm finding one of the things that is helping me show more mercy is realizing I am an apostle. I thought I was a pastor, and I couldn't understand why other pastors didn't see things the way that I saw them. Like Pastor Rich? Oh, especially Dickie. Instead of immediately reacting, I'm taking time to understand how he sees things. Our phone calls have gone so much better. I'm so glad to hear that. Well, I'm looking forward to anything else. Y'all can teach me about mercy. So I'm going to hang up and listen. This was my favorite podcast. God bless. Okay. Hey, thanks for the call, Pastor Tater. Man, what a dude. Pastor Tater is the man. Yeah, that was awesome. It's so good to hear that Pastor Rich and Pastor Tater are having good conversations. It's, war it's warm in my heart, man. Yeah, and it makes sense that they are. When we understand that each of us is unique, it leads to being able to have empathy for one another or the ability to not only understand, but also feel what others are feeling. Yeah, man, we're, we are on a journey. And, and the fact that, Pastor Tater can learn something so deep about yeah. himself at in his later years. Well, it is, says a lot about him, right? It does. It says a lot about him, and it's encouraging for us. Where yeah, it is. I, uh, the fact that this discovery of himself is birthing him to become more merciful towards oh, yeah. other people, and such a big thing a big realization and that it's he, he's kind of turning it into a great part of his story yeah i think it's been a big part of mine mm. and i think i'm like i'm like pastor tater in that in that aspect of we talked about being a bull being bullish mm -hmm. being a bull shepherd what have you and there is a value in, in the passion that him and I both have behind what we want to teach people and the intentions we have of really just wanting to help. But I think the, the key for me in growing as a teacher and growing in my, my reach has been mercy. Has really been this ability to 
to be merciful to others, to be empathetic towards others, and and to be open to people disagreeing with me and pushing back on me and not being so quick to judge these people who don't want to hear what I have to say. It's caused me to be a lot more, I think it's caused people to receive me a lot better. And I think we're seeing that happen in Pastor Tater's life. And even in his own, even with his son, I think that's really what's happening. Amazing. Well, let's talk about the other side of the argument. Let's talk about the loose side, Pastor Joel. All right. So this side of the argument, we see Jesus, this is the belief here would be Jesus's sacrifice has paid for all sin. And therefore, when I do something wrong, you should just forget about it. Hit the, what, what we called earlier, the reset button. Let's move past this. It's like, PJ, mm-hmm. I know I did something wrong, but every time you bring it, like, you, are you trying to hurt me by bringing up this thing I did wrong? Like, this is really uncomfortable. Like, do we really want to talk about this? Why do you have to things. be so confrontational? I said some things. Yeah. You said some things. Come on. Yeah. Let's, let's just, just move past it, right? And how have people been hurt by that perspective? You notice how this reset button sounds like infinite mercy or like forgiveness? Because we saw forgiveness is infinite mercy, yet it's an intentional infinite mercy. And there's a right process I have to go through in order to get to that. And really forgiving allows or forgiving people allows God to equal out justice. So what happens here, though, is the the burden of forgiveness is put on the other person without any responsibility for the wrong behavior put on the person on this side of the argument. So people on this side who want infinite mercy for their wrongs are saying they don't want to confess and repent. Mm. Instead, they want God to, really, the implication, they want God to hinder some future plan of theirs. And then they want to get mad at God for being unjust when future plans don't work out the way they want them to. Hmm. But this is how people end up depressed because of their wrong beliefs about God's nature. You know, people are not making up for the wrongs they have. And we've learned this in the in the forgiveness episode too. On the loose side, what it tends to be is it puts the burden on you. You're supposed to forgive me when I do wrong to you. Mm-hmm. Without me addressing the wrong I did, without me making up for it, I just say, come on, Jonathan, you're a Christian. You're supposed to forgive me. Mm. Well, there's still injustice out there. And the only way that I'm going to be able to be reached then is through the outside through some external experience that god can bring against me and then when that happens i blame god for being unjust because i'm not seeing how it's fair that this bad thing has happened to me and i'm not accounting for the wrong things i've done that i've not made up for why because my belief is that because i'm saved those things are already paid for Right. And now I'm depressed because I have a wrong belief about God. And because I'm in the hole justice wise. And my answers may lead to me just saying, you know what? God doesn't even exist. Nice. Yeah. I definitely see that with 
when people do bad things towards other people, they feel bad for doing it. And they do believe that that was them making up for it. Feeling bad, right? Feeling bad is the, you know, I said, I was sorry. I said, I was sorry. I felt bad about it. I didn't like it. What more do you want from me? Right. And it's like, uh, I, I mean, I would want this for you. I would want you to make up for it so that you don't feel guilty about it still. How would you handle an interaction with someone who held this perspective? Well, I think Pastor Tater kind of touched on this, at least by implication. But I'd ask, so so you never confront anyone else when something unjust happens to you? Mm. Or it's like the, the point Pastor Tater made about the free will thing. I believe I have a free will. I have no, like, I have no control over, like, everything I've done has already been mapped out. Then why do I get mad at other people as if they had control over their actions? So here, what I'm doing is I'm flipping a question onto this person for their benefit, asking them. I mean, you don't, you don't confront anyone else then, right? When something Mm. unjust happens to you, you give people the same amount of infinite mercy. You press the reset button when stuff happens bad to you, right? And you never complain when anyone else does something unjust to you, right? Mm. What this does is it ought to expose the contradictions and how this person is holding other people to a higher standard than they're holding themselves. There you go. When you see this going on in the church, this loose and the strict side and the conversation of mercy. What are your thoughts, Pastor Joel? I see three categories of people. The first category are people I feel sorry for. And these are the people who are quick to judge. These people also tend to be the ones who get frustrated when others judge them too quickly. So they want all the room in the world to make mistakes, but they don't give others the same room. I feel bad for these people. These people tend to be paranoid. Because of the judgment they meet out to other people, they constantly are feeling on guard that they're going to be judged as well. Nice, right. So these people tend to be very, very skeptical people. Not a healthy skepticism, but a, a very a paranoia. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad for them. That's Those aren't fun extra thoughts to be walking around with, constantly wondering if people are out to get me. There's the people that I understand why they do what they do. These are people who've left the church due to just being exhausted by this appearance focus that I need to have and living in constant fear of being canceled. Meaning this, like, you know, I'm, these people get exhausted from making, of trying to hide their mistakes, right? Because every time I see someone make a mistake at this church, every time I see someone sin, that person is immediately judged and and possibly canceled or kicked out of church. Now, I know I'm supposed to be able to be myself with these people. Yet, they're the ones who are the quickest to judge me when I make a mistake. So these people that I understand why they leave church are people who have been wearing a mask. And they're exhausted by trying to be someone they're not. Yeah. Then there's the people I'm impressed with. These people show mercy. 
by focusing on understanding a person, especially when that person's done something wrong. Mm. So these people are slow to judge, quick to understand. And these people know that behaviors of a person don't define the person. That sounds like an incredibly rare group. It does. Yeah. Well, now we're going to talk about the ultimate answer, but yeah. I thought we already covered that. Yeah, is we th did. Is there more? Yeah, there's more to unpack here. Let's do it. You know, just like with, you know, we saw with forgiveness, we saw with confession and repentance that there are specific processes that we have to go through in mm. order to handle these the right way. And mercy would be the same thing. But the ultimate answer is delayed judgment. I like that. Real simple, right? Delayed yeah. judgment. So remember, mercy is a time period between an injustice and the equaling out of that injustice. So great mercy, we've seen little to no mercy is like the strict side or like these cartoons. Great mercy is like God the Father. We do something wrong a lot. Mm -hmm. And he gives us room to show us how we're going to respond to what we've done wrong. God's focus is not on the sin itself. God's focus is on a response to the sin, which is why he's quick to extend mercy. So people who don't show mercy are actually insecure and are focused on appearance, are focused on perfection, are, are focused on control. And these all prevent a person's happiness and joy. Mm. so how can i grow and be merciful to others and really eradicate this cancel culture that we've seen prevalent in society including the church two steps here i want to give you one is assume positive intent this looks like trying to take a back step after i see someone do or say something wrong and try to consider at least one reason why what they did or what they said could have been for a good or even just logical reason. I'm at Starbucks. Somebody comes through the drive-thru. A customer gets their coffee. They're frustrated. They don't say thank you after I give them their coffee. Assuming positive intent would be me trying to come up with at least one reason why their behavior was for a good reason. Hmm. Maybe they're late for work. Maybe they got in a fight with their significant other this morning and their brain is just on something else. Assuming negative intent would be like what we often want to quickly get to is while wow, this person's rude. They are rude. Right? So yeah. assuming positive intent is try to come up with one reason why this person could be doing the right thing. Or at least a good explanation for their behavior. They're on the call of their life. Right. They're, uh, they're literally, and they're, they happen. They just need that coffee as the boost and they have an earpiece. You just can't see it, but maybe yeah. they had. They're on the phone, right? Uh, they're on the phone and it's the call of their life. And I know from experience being on the inside of the Starbucks that a lot of a lot of employees get frustrated when they're not given the attention from the customers that we deem <laughs> earned. Mm -hmm. So that's it. P assume positive intent. Number two, 
is kind of an extension of that. But number two is understanding versus agreement. Now, we all want agreement. We especially want others to agree with us. Yet this only happens when understanding is the cause. Our agreement does not happen in one step. So I ought to focus on understanding another person and agreement can come as a result. So what this means is if you've done something wrong to me, I try to understand you. I don't just try to get you to agree that what you've done is wrong and that you're just this, the behavior you exhibited was just horrible. I, in my first steps, ought to be asking you questions, trying to understand you. And if there's agreement, it's going to be through that understanding. Nice. So that's like, let's say you and I are walking side by side. We're walking down the street and you shove me. Right. And instead of me going, dude, that was so wrong. That like, I can't believe that you just shoved me. I understand and ask you, wait, why did you do that? Right. Assuming yep. positive intent, intent, yep. asking you why, and then you turn to me and you say, dude, did you see that rusty nail that you were about to step on? There you go. I just saved your life. You're welcome. <laughs> you, just saved the, <laughs> you just saved the life of my foot. I just saved I was you gonna from get, getting a tetanus shot. Right? I was going to get an infection that would have killed me. Yep. And you saved my life with your Or push. at least got lockjaw. <laughs> is, is that an urban legend? I don't know. But anyways, yeah, that's a great example. And, and but what we want to do is say you're wrong, and and then if I if I try to explain myself, he's like you pushed me. What that is is a focus on agreement. Anything yeah. I say in in a in opposition to what you're saying, you're not trying to understand me. You're just trying to get me to agree to the fact that I wronged you. Mm -hmm. But so often these assumptions we make these projections we make are wrong because we are not god so we have a particular i'm gonna, I'm gonna do a couple more deep dives here i'm really enjoying Great. this topic and, yeah this, and is, it's this been, is awesome it's really important plus we have some really great stories as it relates to the what the flock podcast in dealing with mercy or no mercy from people so we've seen cancel culture is no mercy, little to no mercy, right? Judge them and get rid of them. Now our podcast, our podcast is named What the Flock. Our podcast name has been judged. What? And we, yeah. And we have been canceled by some people. What? Now I made an advertisement that season three was going to go live when it did on social media. And there were a handful of people that I've never met. I've never had an interaction with that responded their first response to season three is going live on such and such date was to put a comment underneath the advertisement that said due to your podcast name and your corrupt use of words, I would never listen to your podcast. Oh, dang. Different variations of that same statement where these people are basically saying what you could, what you could do as a paraphrase here is basically saying, due to what I know, 
that you mean and the corruption behind your meaning of your podcast name, I'm canceling you. I will not give you an opportunity to be understood. I'm assuming negative intent. Mm. And it's like, okay, fine. If you don't want to listen to our podcast, don't. But why are you judging us without understanding? Nice. Why are you assuming negative intent? And that's what I did. So I tried reaching out to each of these people to do to them what they, what they weren't doing to us. I tried asking them questions. And I used the principles that we've been showing and the tools that we've been doing in this podcast going on four seasons now with these people for their benefit, asking them questions. Would you be okay if I judged your intent? Would you be okay if I projected meaning onto the words you're using? Does anybody want to understand why we've named our podcast what we've named? Mm. And none, none of the people answered any of my questions. Wow. They immediately, but I'll tell you, it also, the, if you ask the right questions, it usually it, at minimum will prevent the damage that's being caused. These people usually, when you interact with them the right way, in the just manner that God wants us to, when they're being destructive, when they don't really want to understand us, it usually ends the conversation. So what the flock has a brand. We have an audience. Our podcast is not for everybody. And in fact, every episode begins with who our audience is. What is our brand? We're trying to draw in people who've been hurt by church. People who have actually cried out. What the flock? When they've dealt with damage that they've had in church. Yes. These are the people we're trying to reach. These are the people that we want to help. And these are the people that we want to give the tools so that they can help these people as well. So we have a lot of experience with cancel culture. People not doing the two tips I gave you, not assuming positive intent and not choosing to understand us. Just being immediately judgmental and canceling us. Now, finally, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to give mercy to one another. God doesn't randomly decide who gets mercy, who doesn't, for how long, willy-nilly. He's not just saying, well, I'm going to give this person a certain amount of time, just randomly. There is a purpose behind mercy. There is a purpose behind that time period. And the purpose is for us to have time to make up for the injustice. If I do something wrong, mercy gives me time to make it right. If you give me something, mercy gives me time to give you something back. And this is reflected in the Bible. Luke 17, 3. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he, and if he repents, forgive him. So notice if another Christian sins against me, I'm meant to rebuke him or confront him. When do I forgive? When do I forgive? Jesus says after he repents. 
So the doctrine behind this project, we don't see the word mercy in this verse, but we know that there's three different levels of what we can experience in text. There's what we read, there's the immediate meaning in the context, and then there's the doctrine that's underlying that's true, regardless of what I'm reading. The doctrine behind this process in, in Luke 17, 3, the doctrine that instructs me in when to forgive is mercy. So I show my fellow Christian mercy when he wrongs me after I've confronted him. Show him mercy. Because my faith ought to tell me if he's a Christian, he's going to do the right thing after he's sinned against me, after I've made him aware of it, he'll make it up to me. So, in a sense, I'm giving him. I'm using mercy the same way God does, giving him the opportunity to make up for the wrong he's done, which means he'll repent. I need to give him time to do that. Then once he's repented, then I can state my, well, okay, I'm good. I don't need to equal out justice. God, it's in, it's in your hands now. And I ought to ultimately at least give the person the same amount of time that I would want him to give me when I do something wrong. So here we even have Jesus, Luke 17, 3. And we're going to see in the next episode, we're going to dig deeper into a topic that goes even deeper into, some, in, into confrontation. It's very involved in, in all of this. And, and we're going to see Luke 17, 3 is Jesus giving us a standard operating procedure for how to deal with Christians when we wrong each other. So Jesus has given us SOPs. Nice. Amazing. Thank you so much, Pastor Joel. This has been What the Flock. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.